your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Good snap to him. Hangs one up. This is a pretty good kick. Spielman drifting over. Makes a backpedaling catch of the 25. Eludes attacker. He's got some room. 25, 30, 35, 40. Cutting back to the midfield. He's down the near sideline of the 40. 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, J.D. Spielman from 75 yards. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. What's been going on in your world today? Man, it's been wild around here. Took me the last couple of hours. Welcome to Sports Alley here on the Husker Sports Network. Wow, we got a big show coming up here on a Friday night. Usually Fridays are kind of, eh, not a whole lot happening. We got a ton going on there. As Mick told you, big news coming out of Husker football today with the announcement that Troy Walters no longer part of the staff. And just within the last few minutes, Matt Lubick, now the new offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach and this all pending a completion of a university background check uh so major news coming out of north stadium today we had mike dawson on last night his announcement came down the pike a couple of days ago that he was taking over for javon dewitt who left for north carolina and then within three hours ben mclaughlin of each other the announcement of troy walter's departure and then the matt lubeck addition to the staff your thoughts yeah, it's been a really crazy day, really. I mean, you go all the way to the uh, the rumors that were floating out about Mickey Joseph uh, reportedly being offered a, a position at Nebraska that hadn't uh, officially been opened yet, and there was a lot of people covering Husker football that you know put out a tweet that basically said this raises a lot of questions, and those questions were then soon answered as – Coach Walters, uh, you know, announced in mutually parting ways with the University of Nebraska, put out a, a good statement. I, I really enjoyed that from Coach Walters and thought it was a really classy move on, on his end to put something like that out. And then, what, 30 minutes to an hour after that, they have found their, their new guy, their new offensive coordinator in Matt Lubick. So, yeah, certainly been uh, a spinning wheel of news on, on a time that's typically pretty quiet. But you get this type of stuff after uh, after signing day, and here we are, you know, the Huskers with two four and eight seasons and changing some things up and trying to get um, a new shot in the arm to this program that really really needs it. The connection for Coach Lubeck and Coach Frost—they both were at Oregon from 2013 to 2016. Uh, they both were on that staff at that point in time. Lubeck took over as Oregon's offensive coordinator after Scott Frost left for the UCF job. And then he spent two seasons with Coach Peterson at Washington. The Huskies over those two years won 20 football games, won a Pac-12 championship, and appeared in two bowl games, the Fiesta and the Rose. So those were very successful UW football teams that Lubeck was at. He stepped away from coaching for a year, uh, moved back to the Colorado, the Colorado Spring, Denver area, uh, which, you know, he's the son of Sonny Lubick, who was the longtime very successful coach of the Rams of Colorado State. Uh, but he and Coach Frost spent several years together at Oregon. That's the connection. And so this was almost a seamless, I mean, within three hours, one gone, one on to the staff for Nebraska. So Sonny Lubeck has, has spent a lot of time at the Power Five levels. He was before Oregon. He was at Duke for three football seasons. He spent three years at Arizona State. He spent a couple of years at Old Miss. 
and then was on his father's staff at Colorado State from 01 to 04. So this is a guy that certainly has been around an awful lot of college football. And again, growing up in a football family with his dad being the head coach for Colorado State for so, so many years. Very impressive resume. And, you know, you certainly want to ask some questions about why did you take the year off? Was it just kind of a a skip year? Was it a a chance to recharge the batteries? Those are going to certainly be questions that are going to get asked to Coach Lubick, but he now is a, a part of the Cornhusker staff. So a busy week, Ben. I mean, you get school back going on Monday, the players back on campus, workouts get going on, and then all these changes here on on the staff with now recruiting back underway for everybody. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, there was a lot of rumor and speculation around here for the last couple of weeks about coaching staff, um, you know, potential movement there, and everybody was just kind of unsure of what was going to happen. You just you need to get all these loose ends tied up before the football part starts back up. Uh, and, and in my eyes, it kind of started with recruiting opening back up this week. I feel like you needed to get all your ducks in a row, figure out, you know, your, your roster. And there was more news on that today, which we'll get to. But, you know, how many scholarships do you have open? How many targets are you after? How many uh, are you putting the full court press on? How many would you take? You know, all those questions need to be answered. But before you could even get there, it was what's the staff going to look like? And, and to get those tight ends all all loose ends all tied up I think that was the important first step for this the staff and this program and you know hopefully coach Lubick can come in and you know dive right in head first to what the staff is trying to accomplish and then add it of course his ed- expertise and, and his analysis of what's been going on here and uh, and kind of go from there and start building your plan for next year you know the coaches are a tight-knit group they spend an awful lot of time together, meeting rooms, going over game plans week after week. And so you want to have some synergy for all that. Well, the fact that Coach Lubick spent all those years at Oregon with Coach Frost, I mean, these guys ought to have this from the get-go, right? I mean, this thing ought to be hit the ground. No, as I keep using the word seamless, it ought to just be going full steam ahead because you got to think some of the philosophies are very similar between the two men. Yeah, and I'm sure they've evolved some, you know, since, uh, you know, Coach Frost probably, you know, has adapted some since their days at Oregon. But a lot of the main philosophies and the, and the main schemes are probably the same. And I, I would think that's why I got him at the top of the Rolodex for this job with positive chemistry when they were together last. And, and you don't just have those guys you know at the top just because i think you know he's going to come in and fits you know their offensive game plan and mindset and you know ultimately as an oc if you're an offensive minded head coach you need an oc that you guys complement one another well and you know that you trust each other to build game plans build schematics and of course fit your personnel to what you're trying to do and and on top of that greg go recruit players mm-hmm. that are going to fit what you want to do i think all of this is very important and and clearly coach lubick checked all those boxes for coach frost and uh you know as i said hopefully he can he can get in here and get on the same page and start right away here was his quote from the release which again just came out moments ago i am humbled to have the opportunity to be a part of nebraska football growing up i was in awe of tom osborne and bob devaney's unmatched run of success it is a special situation for me to be reunited with an elite staff and coach frost who is the best in the business the university of nebraska is a world-class institution with the best fan base in college football so matt lubick now on the nebraska staff as the oc and the wide receivers coach taking the place of troy walters who it was announced uh, mid-afternoon today that he and the huskers have mutually agreed to part ways 
We're back on a Sports Highly Friday night. Greg Sharp with you. Busy afternoon, particularly as it relates to Husker football with a couple of big announcements, the departure of Troy Walters and the addition of Matt Lubick now as the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach and wanted to get some thoughts from a former Cornhusker about the day's activities and none better to do that than Jeremiah Searles, a former Husker, now a member of the Buffalo Bills. Jeremiah, I hope you had a good holiday season. First time as a dad. I hope that went well for you. Oh, it was fantastic. We had to spend some time, and uh, it was nice to not be playing, I guess, in this <laughs> regard and spend some time with the Christmas time around family for the first time since, like, high school. I bet. I bet that was great, and I'm glad you had a chance to, to do that. As a new dad, it's a special, special time. Well, this has been quite a day, right? I mean, first the announcement, Troy Walters is gone, and now a new OC has been hired. Let's start with Troy. How surprised were you and, and your thoughts about making that change at Nebraska? And I know the term is being used as mutually the um, parting of the ways, but I think a lot of us saw this coming for a while. Yeah, I think this was kind of the writing on the wall that everyone's just been kind of waiting for everything to drop. I mean, I think the first was the departure of DeWitt, and then now you were kind of like, okay, I think one more change is going to need to be made here for this staff and for this Husker program to kind of make that next step forward, and the all eyes kind of pointed to Walters. And so him leaving I don't think was a huge shock. It wasn't at least for me. I don't think it was for a lot of people. The mutual parting of ways thing, I think that's getting spun a little bit out of control of was there an offer? Like, did he go somewhere else? Did he get terminated? Blah, blah. At the end of the day, he was a respected coach. I had a lot of respect for him as an individual. I've met him multiple times. Scott had nothing but great things to say about him. He'll land on his feet somewhere. But I think with the offensive performance that we've had over the last couple of years, the up and down, that there was time for a change. And no better time now for a change than going into year three when there's a lot of expectations. This offense is poised for a breakout year. So I think that him leaving needed to happen, but I was a little surprised that it took this long, to be honest with you. Well, it happened at 3 o'clock today, and then at 6 o'clock tonight, the athletic department puts out the release that his replacement's already been hired. It's Matt Lubick, who uh, a year year ago was the offensive coordinator at Washington for the Huskies. Prior to that, he was with Coach Frost at Oregon, and when Coach Frost left for UCF, he became the OC for the Ducks. Uh, these two guys obviously know each other pretty well. You've been around a lot of coaching staffs. They like to have some familiarity with each other, don't they? Absolutely. It's it's a language thing. So, I mean, football is all about – there's only so many ways you can run certain things. I mean, power is power. Inside zone is inside zone. The, the swing pass is the swing pass. But at the end of the day, it's all about can you speak the same language. And so you have a coach in there that you can speak the same language right off the bat. You can get things rolling right off the bat. There's not this big – back and forth of, well, what do you call it? Well, what do we call it? And you just kind of get right into the flow of things. So it's good to have that familiarity. Scott's going to be really, really impressed, I think, with what he can bring to the table. And, I mean, iron sharpens iron. I think those two are really going to be able to challenge each other as well as be able to find ways to work well together. So I'm excited for it. I think that Scott's, I mean, he said that he didn't think of anyone else for the job. So, I mean, it's going to be really, really good for the program. Jeremiah, how do you think that this is presented to the players in that room, the, the wide receiver room? Their coach is now gone. They're going to have a, a new coach, somebody they don't know probably at all. They maybe maybe bumped across him in the recruiting trail. But how, how about how about a, as a player right now? What's going through those guys' minds? You know, I think you look at Lubick's track record and you go, man, okay, we're bringing someone in that can really develop us. And if you look at the wide receiver position – I mean, really you can see that the coaching staff addressed the two biggest glaring positions in that were problems for us last year, outside linebacker, 
wide receiver. We had, didn't have the production we needed out of the wide receiver group. So I think they knew that just as much. And you see a lot of young talent coming into that wide receiver room. You see a lot of some JUCO talent. And you know that you need to perform better. And they know they have that pressure. And so now they have a new coach that's going to come in there. He's going to want to perform well. So I think it's going to be this feeling of we're all in this fight together. And I think that if I'm a new player and I see a coach coming in that's had the success that he's had, and he's going to just know that he's going to pour into you. He's a former OC. He knows kind of how the whole thing works together. Him and Scott are going to work together. Scott's going to be very involved in the receiver room. I think if you're a receiver, you're just excited for the, what the future might hold for this next two, three, four-year run that we could see as the receiver position really emerge as a strength for this offense versus kind of the, man, we need more from them on this offense. Jeremiah, there were times this year you looked out there and you knew J.D. Spielman would be out there and then Wandale gets hurt. I mean, it was it got skimpy. I mean, it got to the point Luke McCaffrey had to play – wide receiver yeah. for a couple of games because we didn't have any more bodies. Yeah, I mean, you, you just need depth in college football, and especially if you're going to play a type of up-tempo offense that the Huskers want to play. I mean, if you're going to be throwing the ball that many times, if you're going to want to run 80 plays a game, you've got to have fresh bodies. In order to have fresh bodies, you have to have depth. You can't have this big drop-off from the first group of J.D., Wandale, I mean, if it's Omar Manning or if it's Kate Bourne or whoever it might be, if you then all of a sudden have to put in three new wide receivers, there can't just be this man, this lull of, well, the talent's just not there. And that's what you saw last year. There's this lull of the talent from the first group to the second group was a big drop-off, and that's why we had the production issues later down the stretch, fourth quarter, last half of the season, because if guys get dinged up, then the production just goes way down. So I think with this new coach, he's going to come in and instantly he's going to have some guys that he can create depth with. But it's really going to be how do these guys take the next step? How do these guys take their development going into this offseason to take their game into the next step going into the fall? All right, well, it's been a, quite a day. I, I know a lot of Husker fans have been kind of waiting for some news out of this this football uh, office for the last month, and, and finally today was and this week, along with the announcement of Dawson, the addition to him back on the staff, I think this is the day a lot of Husker fans have kind of waited for. Now recruiting gets going again. We're about six weeks from spring practice. Sounds like it, you're, you're pretty up. You're, you're, you're thumbs up on these moves that have been made here in the last week. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Dawson especially. I mean, I, I got to meet him his first year here. and I actually ran into him in the airport when he was headed to go for the Giants, and he told me that it was a career move so he could get his pension. I mean, that's hard to say no to. I mean, he can be a pension in the NFL for player and coach. That's awesome. And the fact that we were able to get him back, I think, is something that's really going to help this football team because, again, much like the receivers, the outside linebackers, you got a young core. you got guys like Garrett Nelson, Caleb Tanner, and then you got some really young prospects coming in from JUCO and coming in that in two, three, four years, you're going to see what Dawson can do from really just starting from the ground up with these kids. And so I'm all in on these moves. Very good. Jeremiah, we appreciate it. Thank you for your perspective and, and stay warm. It's a little chilly out there tonight. Absolutely. Will do, guys. Thanks for having me on. Go Big Red. You bet. Jeremiah Searles, former Husker. But Ben, let's start off with the head coach of the Huskers on the hardwood. Yeah, obviously Nebraska needing to get back on the winning track um, and a couple of tough road defeats. Feels going to feel good to get home and, and be back in your, your home arena against a team that you're pretty familiar with, with uh, Indiana and a team that Nebraska um, took to overtime at Assembly Hall 
um, just a, a short while ago in conference play, and now Indiana making the return trip to Lincoln. Coach Hoiberg was first asked on what they can take away from their first game with the Hoosiers. Well, I think the thing that that game showed us is uh, when we go out there and play together and play the right way, uh, we have a chance to win every time we step on the floor. Uh, you know, it's a big physical team. Obviously, they lead the nation in free throws attempted and free throws made. Uh, they get a lot accomplished in the paint. So there's a lot of things uh, that they have on the roster that are difficult for us uh, from a matchup standpoint. So, you know, for us, uh, you know, where I thought we lost that game was in transition and on the glass. They got 20 offensive rebounds and converted a lot of those into points. Uh, you know, I thought offensively it was one of our better performances of the year. Part of that, we made shots. You know, we did a good job uh, spacing the floor and, and making the right play, and the ball was moving, and uh, we got a lot accomplished. Uh, last two games, we've had one half of really good basketball, and we have to become a complete basketball team if we're going to have a chance to win in this league. Uh, you just look at how difficult this conference is. Um, you know, I think 12 teams are in the top 40 uh, in the uh, whatever that thing is, the RPIP, whatever it is now. Um, used to be the net rankings. Used to be the DPI. But you know, it's uh, it's something that you know for us to find a way to get some of these wins, uh, especially lately, uh, you have to play a complete 40 minutes. And you know, we played two really good halves. We've got to combine those from Ohio State and uh, the second half against uh, Northwestern. Uh, you know, we would have had a chance to win those games. But you know, you can't come out and play 30 minutes, uh, 35 minutes. Got to be a complete 40, especially for our team that has a very thin margin. And Greg, when you look at that Indiana game, Nebraska didn't get off to an overly great start. They had a better, uh, you know, after the first few minutes, where was able to settle down. But it was really a, a complete effort from the team and a huge shot from Deshaun Burke to send that thing into OT. And you like to think, you said, give them maybe a little confidence, but they know they can compete with this team. Sure do. I mean, I remember Coach Hoiberg had to burn an early timeout to kind of get the the thing back on track, and it did. And from that point on, Nebraska played them, even if not maybe a little bit better than Indiana, the last 35 minutes of regulation. But Indiana made plays in overtime to pull it out. You can look at that in two ways, I guess, Ben. You can look at it from the standpoint Nebraska knows they can hang with Indiana, but two, they also probably – the Hoosiers know they can't sleep on the Huskers going into this one. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think, uh, you know, for me, going into this thing and, and – Finding a way to keep the crowd engaged always is a is a big thing at, at Pinnacle Bank Arena. One thing that we have not seen with this team from from the jump has been uh, consistency, at least on the results of the scoreboard. They've been all over the place, up and down we go. Uh, I know that's something the coaching staff has talked about quite a bit. Uh, what about the consistency aspect and, and how they drill that home to their players? Yeah, it's everything. It's film sessions. It's on the practice court. And, uh, you know, it's just attention to detail. Um, you know, when we go out there and, and play the right way and get the ball moving uh, offensively, you know, we tend to have better energy on the defensive end of the floor. And, you know, when we go in there and get our shot blocked uh, by taking wild shots in the lane uh, or turn the ball over, that's what leads to confidence the other way. They get playing downhill and, and they get uh, they get a lot of confidence. Ohio State had not shot the ball well. Um, you know, Weston hit three. Two of them I thought was good defense. We contested shots on those one of them was missed rotation uh, but you know the teams when they get confident with layups and transition uh, those shots are easier and I thought that's what happened uh, in Ohio State um, you know same thing with Northwestern we had a six possession span where we got three where we had three turnovers got a shot block three times and again that leads to uh, confidence on the other end for the other team 
I think, you know, the model of consistency, it's it's always tough to find. And if Coach Hoiberg finds the recipe, I think there's going to be 13 other coaches in the Big Ten that are uh, that are after after that because it's, it's truly difficult to do. One thing that is always prevalent is Huskers playing at home and being good crowds there. That probably gives them a lot of confidence. But Coach Hoiberg addressed that further of the confidence of playing at home at PBA. Well, we're excited to get back home, especially the students back in town now. Um, you know, we've had two great wins in this building in, in our league uh, against two really quality opponents. Uh, I think top 20 in the whatever net ranking uh, that it is, uh, you know, to knock off Purdue and to knock off Iowa. Those are two really good wins for our program. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with the atmosphere here at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Our fans are phenomenal. Uh, they do a great job getting us going. Um, you know, we need to take, we talk about road mentality. You know, you don't have that. Uh, obviously, uh, crowd to get you back into it when things aren't going well. You have to find a way to band together, and you know it's been too late the last two games. But you know, at home, we feel we have as good an atmosphere as any, uh, not only in the Big Ten but in the country. It is a great atmosphere, and I think that's that's part of the reason why these guys get so juiced up to play here when, whenever they have home games and feel like they can take down anybody. It was definitely the case against Iowa. Sure was. Well, in the Purdue game back in December where Nebraska just absolutely hammered the Wodemakers in that game. They didn't they had to really fight and scratch and claw to get it done against the Hawkeyes. But you know, PBA has certainly been a special place. We were talking about it in a meeting we had earlier this week about we can't believe this is year seven for that arena to be open. And and we've had some magical games in there. We had a season where Nebraska went like fifteen and one in that building. And I think, you know, getting the students back, it's a Saturday night game. I, I got to believe it's Indiana, which everybody gets fired up to see them and those cool warm-up pants that they have. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get those blue bloods in here, it, it, it's going to bring a crowd, right? Indiana, Michigan State, the, those 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 brands are enough to get people's attention and want to come check it out. Um, that, that being said, is there pressure to play well and win at home? Here's the head coach. Well, it's always important to uh, go and protect home court. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons we had great success. Uh, you know, my previous college uh, positions is we protected our home court. Um, you know, I think we lost four Big 12 games in four years. And, you know, if you can do that and then go out and steal a couple road wins, uh, you're going to be playing in the postseason every year. So uh, it is. It's important to get that established uh, this season as we continue to go on uh, to try to come out here and protect that home court. I think protecting home court is something everybody wants to do, but you know, in this league, easier said than done. But it's something that's been done a lot right now. A lot of home teams have been successful so far this year. I might be off by a number too, but at last I saw it was the home teams were thirty-six and six in Big Ten games. That might be off a game or two, but it's really close to that. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's like a. 90% winning percentage for home teams. And let's hope that keeps going tomorrow. Michigan State's at home tonight. They were up big on Wisconsin now. It's a nine-point game, but uh, there's still about 15 minutes to go in Iowa and Michigan play a little bit later. I, I was up at the Outland Trophy dinner on Wednesday night, so you and Nate had the show on Wednesday. Didn't get to talk much about the Ohio State game, but it was the return of Gervais Green, who, uh, who I thought did some decent things for Nebraska in that game the other night. He did, and you hope that it just kind of jarred him a little bit and it kind of kicked some things in perspective. And this is the second time that Gervais had to be disciplined this year, and you hope the message gets through, you know, and that he can be a difference maker on this team. Um, you know, going all the way back to the trip in Italy, you weren't sure um, who was going to be the guy. I think everybody thought they were going to be the guy, and, and roles 
and definition of roles were were undetermined and i think now that they've kind of settled down there's probably some some players that are taking some adapting to what their role is with the team and i think gervais is one of those guys that's trying to find how he can help this team the most whereas you know you think back to last year it was him scoring 50 a night in junior college that's not the case now he's going to have to fit into something bigger that's himself which is the team and that can be hard for somebody to adjust to well, I'll be shocked if it's not a great atmosphere tomorrow night. Fans love these weekend conference games, particularly Saturday conference home games. You have it. I know it's going to be cold and windy tomorrow night, but so what? It's going to be nice and toasty inside PBA. It's a winnable game in my eyes for Nebraska in this one. I'll be disappointed if this isn't a heck of a game tomorrow. So we have him now, Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network. Ian, give us an idea of what your championship Sunday is like, having the uh, games in front of you and where you're going to be and how you take these games in. Well, um, I'm going to be uh, in my house, in my studio, um, you know, until basically from like 7 in the morning until 3 p.m. Remember, it's a late start to some of these games, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And, you know, kind of doing what I usually do, which is, um, trying to get some news and talking about it on a pregame show and just kind of getting mentally prepared. And, you know, one nice thing that's happened, at least in my world, is that a lot of these big coaching hires are done. You know, last week I basically was on edge for two days waiting for the Browns hire to drop, ended up getting to break that one uh, with Kevin Stefanski being hired. And um, it was much more relaxing after that. This time, you know, it's uh, it's – Basically, all should be done except for the games, and I cannot wait to settle in and watch two awesome, awesome ones. Yeah, it's got to be great to just worry about the football part. And, and let's let's start with the Tennessee Titans. We talked last week kind of about their attitude and the team taking on the attitude of Coach Rabel, and, and, and it worked. I mean, they, they put away Baltimore and really manhandled the Ravens in that game. Um, what what's the feeling now, Ian? The, the difficulty of having to win on the road at New England, on the road in Baltimore, and then yep. on the road again in yep. Kansas City. What's the feeling out of their camp entering this game? You know, I would say if you're the Tennessee Titans, first of all, you have nothing to lose, right? I mean, you've already you've already achieved an unbelievable level of success that probably nobody outside the uh, nobody outside the building ever would have imagined. So you're good there. Now, I've talked to some people there this week. I mean, obviously, like, they want to win extremely badly. Um, but one thing that's kind of interesting about them is they're a six seed, so theoretically they're underdogs. But I'm not so sure they're actually underdogs if you look at how they've played and, you know, like how they've been basically the second half of the year, right? Because, you know, when Ryan Tannehill got in there, Derrick Henry kind of caught fire. Their defense started stopping people. And they became a really, really good team. So, you know, to me, I would say even though they got to go on the road, even though they've always been on the road, even though they're the sixth seed, this is going to be an extremely tough matchup for Kansas City. Is it oversimplifying things to say that Tennessee is going to go as far as Derrick Henry takes them, or are they more complete than people want to think? Well, I mean, you could – they are definitely a complete team. I mean, Ryan Tannehill has not had to carry them in the playoffs, but I think he could. The thing with Derrick Henry is, I mean, yes, they're going to go as far as, as he takes them, but he might take them very far. Like, if you look at the way that, um, you know, if you look at the way that this, uh, you know, Chiefs defense is configured, they're not a tough run-stopping team. I mean, Henry could really hurt them. The problem is, 
let's say the Titans slow the game down and kind of turn it into a churn it out, you know, kind of low scoring game. The Chiefs still have Patrick Mahomes. So stopping Derrick Henry is important, but letting Mahomes be Mahomes and just turn it on like he did in the second half last week would probably help as much for Kansas City. So, I, I mean, it is a really interesting multifaceted game. But I think obviously we learned that no matter what the score is, if the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, they're in very good shape. Derrick Henry can run all over the Chiefs, and he has already. One key cog to maybe slowing that down is Chris Jones. Make me a happy Chiefs fan and tell me some good news on Chris Jones. The good news is he practiced, uh, which is good. You know, he was limited, and so my assumption is he's going to be, you know, questionable going into the game, and then we'll see what happens. Um, It's a calf strain, and, you know, last week he worked out before the game, and it sounded like did not get – just did not get close. I mean, really did very little. So, you know, could in one week he turn around that much? I don't know, but I do know that, like, Mark Ingram from the Ravens dealt with something similar last week and was not himself. I mean, clearly, clearly not himself. Those calf strains are bad injuries. My educated guess is that if he plays, he's going to be extremely, extremely limited. Um but I don't even know that he's going to be able to get out there and play, which obviously is a pretty big loss. Yeah, and then on the other side of the ball, is there any update or are the Chiefs saying anything on Travis Kelsey? He was late coming out of the locker room with a hamstring and has been dealing with a bit of a knee as well and was the X factor, the difference in the game against Houston last week. Any update on him? Are the Chiefs saying anything about his status? Yes, uh, Andy Reid has confirmed that Kelsey is good to go, You know, which is not a surprise, but he's dealing with a – uh, basically a IT band issue in his knee, like a tightened IT band that is giving him some discomfort. And I'm not quite sure, you know, sort of when he's going to get rid of that, I guess. But um, it's been nagging for a little bit, and he's, you know, probably not himself. So maybe if he had been himself last week, he might have scored four touchdowns. Then <laughs> um, he also had the hamstring. So he, he's going to play. Um, you know, and I would say that is uh, – I would say that is a a pretty significant thing there for the Chiefs. That's the early game, the afternoon game, or the evening game, I should say, the NFC Championship between Green Bay and San Francisco. It it looked painful trying to watch Minnesota's um, offense work against San Francisco's defense. When you watch that unit on the field, can Green Bay be that much different than Minnesota was, meaning can they have more success of what San Francisco was trying to do? A lot of that seemed they were just rushing forward and getting home every snap. Yeah, I mean, I would say the Packers are a weird team because they are very good. They have a lot of wins. They have not a lot of losses. They have Aaron Rodgers who's starting to look like himself um, and all that. So, I mean, really, on if you look at them, they should be a good team. I'm just not sure anybody really thinks of them like that, and I don't quite know why that is except that that's just the way everybody looks at him. So, you know, I mean, the Vikings definitely had trouble with the Niners. The, uh, Yeah, the Vikings definitely had trouble with the Niners, and I would expect the Packers to have the same. I mean, you know, can they can they block those huge, huge 49ers defensive linemen up front? I don't know that they can. Um, so, you know, can they score on them? Can they really throw on that, on that 49ers defense? I don't know that they can. I mean – Richard Sherman's going to be on the lookout for footballs. I know that. Um, This is a really, really tough matchup for the Packers. Even though they've won a lot of games, um, still a significantly difficult matchup. 
it's only fair to assume the storyline, you know, the Niners have never been here before. How's that moment going to affect him, especially Jimmy Garoppolo? I think I even asked you that last week. Well, it was pretty clear that they don't really care about that. Uh, how have you seen their camp kind of bounce back after a big win and them approach, you know, one win away from being in the big one? Yeah, I mean, it was such a methodical, easy win for the 49ers. I'm not sure they noticed anything, you know? I mean, that's what's that's what's really interesting is it seems like such a matter-of-fact ho-hum victory. And I didn't get a chance to see if anyone had nerves about anything. Like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo has been starting for a couple of years now, and I think people still have questions in the big moment if he's got to have it. Even after the third and 17, even after the third and 18, you know, does Jimmy Garoppolo have it to get it done? And people still have questions. Meanwhile, they're in the NFC title game, and they may be in a situation again where he doesn't have to make a big play. So we could go into the Super Bowl with um, people wondering, does Jimmy Garoppolo have it in him to win at the big moment? Which I would say if you asked him, probably fine with him. It's it's a fun time of the year and, and you know usually the teams that that get here have such a unique path to get here and uh, let's let's go back to Green Bay for just a second and I want to talk specifically about their defense against San Francisco's offense you mentioned they didn't really need to do a whole lot to to beat Minnesota because their defense is so dominant but if Aaron yeah. Rodgers is having some success and can find his way in the end zone two or three times against San Francisco's defense how do you see Green Bay's defense stacking up with what San Francisco wants to do because they are pretty multiple well I mean um you know, I would say the Packers' defense has been really, really stout this year. they got good long corners who are athletic. They can really cover. And, you know, they probably had two of the best free agent signings of the whole free agency um, with, the Swift, with the Smith brothers. I mean, they look, you know, those guys are awesome. Um, so I think this, you know, this Packers' defense can re- – that's probably the thing to me that's sort of the unknown is, you know, I think they're going to be able to get to Jimmy Garoppolo. He gets rid of the ball quick, but they're going to be able to get to him. My question is, I think you may able to stop the 49ers from running the ball. Because that's, you know, the 49ers, for all that they do, they are really a run-and-play defense team. You know, they are really, they're going to spread you out. They're going to gash you on with four different running backs who can all really run. Who can stop that? And they're so complex, and they have such a diligence about running the ball that I just don't know if the Packers can stop it. Um, so I think that's... You know, certainly that's one of my big questions kind of going forward. I'm looking forward to seeing um, how this Packers defense, you know, if they strap their chin straps on, can they stop them? That's what's going to be really interesting. No doubt. Ian, before we let you go, I just got one more question for you, and it's and it's something we don't usually ask you until draft time, but Joe Burrow, I mean, he's certainly opened the eyes of, of everybody in the, in, the, in the college football world, certainly, but now yeah. in the NFL with the attention turning there, what's been from the National Football League side, the interpretation of what he's done, not only in the last few weeks, but what he's done this year and what type of prospect that turned him into in just 365 days? Yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow, I would say, is probably as good a, pro, as good a prospect as we've come across in a little bit here. I mean, you know, maybe uh, maybe Andrew Luck level. Um, you know, it's really uh, – he's really complete. He's a fighter. He's a winner. He throws a beautiful football. He played in a great team, but um, he's come so far in a year. I mean, to me, if he's not the number one pick at this point, I would really, really be surprised. 
Yeah, and it'll certainly be interesting, you know, draft time, you know, after the combine and everything as well, how much name, how much steam his name picks up. Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network. Ian, great catching up with you, man. Hopefully you can uh, relax, kick the feet up, enjoy some football this weekend before the Super Bowl. Thanks so much. All right, look forward to it, and uh, I'm sure I'll be talking to you guys very soon. Literally cannot wait for this weekend. Neither can we. Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network, joins us as he does each and every Friday. Welcome back, Sports Highly here on the Husker Sports Network, and delighted to be joined by Josh Klingler from 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City. He's the co-host of their morning show, also does some work with the Jayhawk Learfield IMG College Sports Network. And Josh, when I locked you in to be a guest earlier today, I wanted to talk about the Chiefs, but there's been some breaking news earlier today with the passing of the former owner of the Kansas City Royals, David Glass. Give me, give me your thoughts about David Glass as the now former owner of the Royals. Yeah, such sad news because the uh, you know the transition to the uh, the new ownership has just gone you know gone down recently, and so um, it was sad to hear um, that that you know there may have, may have been some underlying health issues which led to uh, to to making that transition. But uh, but obviously, a guy who was pretty polarizing in Kansas City um, kept the team first off in Kansas City, which was big when the ownership uh, change initially happened and kind of saved baseball, I think, in Kansas City. Um, and then there were, you know, some years where people call, called, you know, everybody wants to spend everybody else's money, right? So there were quite a few years that everybody wanted to spend uh, Mr. Glass's money and uh, had a better idea, you know, of course, at how he could spend the money on the team. But then ultimately, uh, you know, oversaw the, you know, the, really the, the philosophy change, I think, that led to the run in 2014 and 2015, and then eventually uh, another World Series title in Kansas City. So I think, uh, you know, with any owner, probably in any any particular sports town, they kind of love them and hate them at d- different points in, in time, and, and certainly in uh, the later years just because of, you know, how he, he spent and how they delivered and how they were patient and, and, and brought a World Series to Kansas City. Certainly he's being, uh, he's being remembered fondly today, but uh, yeah, yeah, not something that anybody was necessarily expecting and ever expect these types of things but uh you know to kind of have this happen just as the transition has been made to the uh to the new ownership group here in in kansas city makes it a you know a little more sad today you know josh i know the baton just was passed away to the new owner in in november what's your early feeling of the the new ownership group uh not really sure yet he hasn't he hasn't done a lot in kansas city in terms of speaking yet and and uh i know he'll be kind of making the rounds where the the flagship in Kansas City for the Royals as, as well. So uh, at some point in time, he'll be ready to kind of kind of speak. Got a big ownership group, but cool part about it is it's all Kansas City ties. Um, you know, it's a it's a about twenty person plus uh, kind of ownership group that uh, pooled their money together to 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 buy the team in, in in Kansas City. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works as well. But he's a you know as a guy that. Uh, was a Kansas City businessman, but also John Sherman worked in the Cleveland Indians organization, kind of worked in another franchise and was probably uh, had it in the back of his mind at some point in time that this could be a possibility here in Kansas City. So um, certainly, you know, everybody wants to spend his money right away, too. (laughs) And I kind of warn everybody, hey, they spent a billion dollars to buy this team, okay? So it might not come uh, right away, but certainly a, a good young crop of players coming through and everybody's hopeful that the uh, the Royals will you know be back in the in the playoff mix sooner rather than later. Well, Josh, Husker fans will be mad at me if I don't ask you what your gut is on Alex Gordon. Do you think he'll be back in a Royals uniform this year? 
you know, I, I, I thought we'd know by now, right? I'm, I'm guessing, you know, a lot of Huskers probably felt the same way. I thought we would we would know by now. The door is absolutely open for him to do it, and I think it's probably you know, completely in his in his camp. I think uh, there's you're not blocking anybody if he comes back and plays in the outfield. If if they figure out a way even to 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 use a younger player along with him, it probably wouldn't be the the worst thing. Hey, Fan Fest is next week, so you know those. That'd be a good time to make that announcement and come back and say you're going to go one more year. I think selfishly and, and just observing it from Kansas City, I, I, I kind of want him to make a farewell tour. Uh, you know, yeah. we didn't get to kind of have our, our goodbyes, really, and, and maybe that's the way Alex Gordon wants it, too. So um, I thought we'd have know, known by now exactly what was going to happen. Spring training, you know, less than a, a month away. Yeah, that, that's good news. Everybody's been dealing with all this wacky weather the last couple of weeks. Josh Klingler's with us from uh, – 610 Sports in Kansas City. He's the co-host of their morning show. He also does a lot of work for the Jayhawk Network. Well, Kansas City's got to be a buzz. Josh, with this big Chiefs matchup on Sunday, a chance to get to the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years. How much of Chiefs fever is there around town? Oh, my goodness, my goodness. I think last year was last year was terrific, getting that AFC Championship game, hosting that game, playing the dreaded Patriots, uh, but then not coming away with it. I think it was a gut punch for everybody, and so – uh, this go-round, things broke their way to even have this game at Arrowhead Stadium. So I think there's been a definite feel all week long like this is the time, with no disrespect to the to the Tennessee Titans. It just feels like, okay, this is Kansas City's time to get something that's been uh, far too long in getting back to KC and then obviously getting Andy Reid back to a Super Bowl um, with uh, you know that, that greatest coach to, to never won a Super Bowl kind of tag on him right now. Um, yeah, I think I think there's just a feel like the time is right. Won't be easy Sunday by any means, but uh, I think I think from a fan standpoint anyway, everybody's giddy to to send their team on to Miami. So, ever seen a game like the one we saw last week? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at probably not at any level, right? I mean that that had the runs like a basketball game. It yeah. was it was you, you don't see those kind of you know scoring spurts except for maybe in college basketball or the NBA. Um, you know, you, you wish you had a little more time to kind of process it because you're on to the next one so fast because I think for most of us, that's probably the greatest Chiefs game we've ever seen. Uh, just the incredible nature in which that one uh, flipped uh, on a dime. And, 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 you know, I think there was a lot of people probably having that, oh, no, uh, playoff misery uh, bug again. And then, you know, they flipped the switch on and, and turned it on and then ran away. So I, I think that's, that's led to a little more buzz this week for this game as well. Because I, I, everybody feels like, man, that was that was a wake up. That first quarter was a wake up. Then they got going, and they feel like the accelerator is now down. We'll see. Well, it should be fun. Two o'clock at Arrowhead on Sunday. Josh, always good to catch up. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure Kansas City for the next two weeks, if they get it done Sunday, is going to be on fire. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm hoping that's the case. Uh, it's going to go either way on Monday for our for our show, right? It'll either be giddy <laughs> talking about a Super Bowl or talking everybody off the ledge that they're never, ever, ever going to get it done. So I'm hoping it's uh, it's talking about a Super Bowl instead. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. You bet, Greg. We are back. Final segment of the night. Final segment of the week here of Sports Nightly, and we like to end each week with. Winners and losers of the week. Ben, you get to lead us off. All right, very good. Uh, my winner of the week uh, with news today out of Clemson, Travis Etienne coming uh-huh. back for his senior season. So Clemson's without a doubt my winner. Um, someone put it b- the best on Twitter. That's the best recruit that Dabo Sweeney will get <laughs> all year, uh, getting him back for another year without question with he and Trevor Lawrence and 
That's going to be a beast team for sure. My my loser, I'm going to Major well, League wait, Baseball. Wait, 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 first. Preseason number okay. one, no doubt, right? Yeah, got to be. Got to be. Got to be, especially, especially with Burrow leaving and LSU's had a lot of departures. So. Yes. Yeah, there's no doubt they have to be yeah. the uh and the, and two and two are leaving Bama. Yep. Yeah. So. All right, my loser I'm not going Houston Astros, that'd be a cop out. I'm going Jessica Mendoza from ESPN for her comments that she made yesterday. Obviously, you know, works on Sunday night baseball. I think she does a decent job, but just a ridiculous take on this Houston thing, getting mad at fears for uh be the one the the whistleblower on this and saying that that's that's that she said that that's how it came come on that's just an absolutely Brutal. awful take yeah and uh she lost a lot of credibility to a lot of people with and she didn't just spew it once she was in the car wash spewing that all day long yesterday so just an awful take by her yeah i read today where she may get removed from the sunday night package she may not be back this year all right josh you're next all right sounds good i'm gonna go with baseball for my winner and for me, it's a little bit of a homer pick, but I'm going with the Minnesota Twins as my winner this week, signing Josh Donaldson and for a lifelong Twins fan, for them to make a big-time free agent signing like this was huge. I I obviously wish that it would have been a starting pitcher, but I'll take this. And I know that he's probably – it was a four-year deal. They had to stretch the years a little bit to make it work, but even if he's good for just one year and and it works out for the Twins, I'll be happy. So All right, so they, they do that in the offseason. They won the division last year. Or is it them or the White Sox in your eyes? Or are the Indians still around there? Well, I think that those three teams are going to be in the mix, and it'll be interesting to see how how the season starts out. But I think the White Sox made a lot of good moves, but they have to prove it to me that that those moves actually worked out and that they're going to be able to gel. So I I think it's the Twins division to lose, but, but we'll see. Yeah. And then my loser, I'm going with Odell Beckham Jr. handing out the money after the LSU win. Uh, after the national championship on Monday night. And I know that there's been some different takes on this, like who cares, whatever he does. But I just feel like with he's, t- he's putting the attention on himself is the, is the reason why it's annoying to me is, you know, you, you have that great win and then you're, you're making it about you because he, he knew that he was on TV and, and I think that he knew that he was going to be uh, put in the spotlight there. So it was a, kind of a selfish move by him just ridiculous and then to try to and then lsu to try to play it off like it was fake money initially right. that was their yep. reaction that was just a joke the whole way all right very good okay my loser of the week i'm going the whole major league baseball i, I think the some of the some of the sanctions were very much warranted i don't know if they went far enough i don't think they've touched the players enough i know they're worried about the the upcoming cba and how that could damage that but i, I just think it stinks for baseball that it's come to that and my winner is laurent Hurtabies, who is a one-arm golfer. He's playing in this week's American Express Open. He's a, an amateur. This is a pro-am out there on the PGA Tour this week. He had a hole-in-one yesterday. One-arm golfer. It's fun to watch. You can go find it if you want to go pull it up on YouTube. 151-yard par 3. It's cool to see that happen. All right, that'll put a wrap on tonight's show. Thanks to Ben and to Josh and to all of you for being a part of this one. We're back on Monday. Enjoy your weekend.